This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Getting just a little bit of feedback. We're working on that. It's a joy to be with you today on March 10th, Friday, March 10th, 2023. We're going to be talking with mayoral candidate, Chicago mayoral candidate, the former CEO of the Chicago Public Schools, Paul Vallis. Going to be getting the latest on his take on the campaign and want to find out from him what he envisions for this city. Indeed, that can be a harbinger of what uh, mayors envision and want to do for urban America. Is there an urban American agenda? I do intend to ask him that, and I thank him for joining us today. And, of course, Brandon Johnson, not of course, but grateful that Brandon Johnson will be joining us on Monday. So we're going to be talking about the issues that are driving this campaign, and I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Let's talk about it here on the Santita Jackson Show. Call us at 773-763-9278. And, of course, we'll be talking about infection prevention uh, three years into this pandemic, which we technically are still in, uh, three years in, where do we go from here? First, black people were dying more frequently. Now white people are. Uh, before the therapeutics, you know, of course, we lost millions of people. But now that even with now even with therapeutics and a vaccine, uh, most people who are in the hospital right now have been vac- have been vaccinated and boosted. What can we do to protect ourselves? not just from COVID, but from all of these infections that are out here. And have you gotten the regular tests that you need? Have you checked? Are you checking yourself for lumps? And are you men, are you getting your prostate examined? Women, are you getting the breast examinations? And that counts for men, too. Remember, Shaft had breast cancer, Richard Roundtree. So there's a lot that we are going to pack into those 10 minutes or so that we have with Dr. Shanina Knighton. But I want to hear from you about the mayoral campaign. What do you think is going to happen? Right now, Paul Vallis has a solid lead in all of the polls, uh, but fully a quarter of Chicagoans, according to those who are most likely to vote, have not made a decision about whom they'll vote for. Yeah, so that's it's anybody's race to win. Anybody's race to win. And at the end of the day, you need to win. So I want you to know I'm coming to you from WCPT, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. I want you to meet my morning stars. That's right, Robert and Dave and Andre. And Michael Ann, she's one of the original Morning Stars, and Antha from there in France, and Dave Dowling, our brother from the north. That's right, north of the border. So many of you are with us today, and it's a joy to be with you. Meet them on YouTube, on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel, or the Santita Jackson and Friends page. Let's get to some of these headlines so we can get some good news from Pastor Marshall Hatch in Chicago. We're going to have snow showers today. That's right. 36 degrees. It's raining right now, but it will at times be snow today. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 33 degrees snow. In the NBA, the Bulls will be playing the Rockets tomorrow, and the Nets will be playing the Timberwolves tonight. And in the NHL, Chicago will be playing the Panthers, and tomorrow, the Wild will be facing off against the Sharks. Seven people were killed in a mass shooting 
yesterday at a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall in the German city of Hamburg. And what the country's leader has denounced as a brutal act of violence, the alleged perpetrator also died in the incident, according to Hamburg police. A week after the kidnapping of four Americans in Mexico, investigators are still working to piece together how and why the abduction unfolded. This comes after a cartel apologized for carrying out what one victim's father has called a senseless crime that left two Americans and one Mexican woman dead. The Gulf Cartel, which is believed to be responsible for the kidnapping, also issued an alleged apology. President Joe Biden released his annual budget on Thursday, and indeed, progressives are praising the budget, saying that it's much more compassionate and it gives more help to people who are in need. And it outlines his policy priorities for the year ahead. The 2024 budget mostly rehashed the president's earlier proposals to expand the social safety net and to pay for it by raising taxes on the wealthy and corporations. He wants to restore the expanded child tax credit and make permanent enhanced Obamacare subsidies. And he wants to provide universal free preschool, make college more affordable and establish a national paid family and medical leave program. It just continues to get more and more challenging for Norfolk Southern. Thursday's U.S. Senate hearing about the ongoing environmental and public health disaster in East Palestine, Ohio, East Palestine, Ohio, excuse me, did not go well, according to reports from More Perfect Union, a progressive media outlet. Uh, CEO Alan Shaw refused to commit to providing workers with seven days of paid sick leave, ceasing stock paybacks, and abandoning Wall Street-endorsed policies that critics say say contribute to the 1,500-plus derailments seen each year in the U.S., including Norfolk Southern's toxic crash near the Ohio-Pennsylvania border last month, as well as a derailment. They keep having derailments, everybody, that happened in Alabama just before uh, the multimillionaire executive testified. Those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. We have got... Oh, the well, he's doing so many wonderful things at his church, and we are just so grateful that he was able to make a little bit of time for us this morning. We're so grateful to have you, Pastor Reverend Dr. Marshall Hatch, college professor, theologian, pastor, New Mount Pilgrim Baptist Church here in Chicago, the Mafia Redemption Project, the Sankofa Wellness Project. I don't think he gets any sleep, but I'm glad that... While he's got one eye open, he's going to give us some good news today. How are you, Pastor Hatch? I am super duper. Good morning to the radio audience today, and good to hear your voice, Miss Santita. Thank you for those two T's. Well, what's the good news? I think we need some today. (laughs) Well, you know, there's this object lesson in Scripture in Numbers chapter 13, when uh, Moses leads the people out of bondage, out of the empire of Egypt, the enslaved class are brought out into a wilderness. And Moses sends this group of recognizant uh, reporters to go and survey the land and the people in it, uh, and whether or not they can possess the promise. And there are two reports that come back from the 12 that go in. There's the report of faith and the report of fear. Now the report of faith, uh, there are two of that said, Joshua and Caleb, we can 
we can possess it with God. And then there are 10 that give the report of fear who said we can't. In fact, they say we are grasshoppers in our sight. In other words, they're giants, we're grasshoppers in our sight. And I'm sure they say that we're grasshoppers in their sight, too. There's a report of faith and a report of fear. And often we call that report of fear the grasshopper complex. We're sure we're small in our sight and in theirs. You know, the late Toni Morrison, oh, what a brilliant uh, contribution as a writer she's made uh, in her life. And she talks about something that almost all black folk in America are affected by. It's called the white gaze. It's a, it's a variation of Dr. W.B. Du Bois, is, uh, uh, the, the late Dr. Du Bois teaching on double consciousness. That is that we, in our condition, have been taught to see ourselves through the eyes of others, through that uneven power analysis, that double consciousness that as, as victims of some type of historical terrorism. And that is what we see in this object lesson of the scripture. The ones who said we can't, those 10, they saw themselves as grasshoppers, others as giants. And it was not just how they saw them, but it was how they saw themselves that limited their possibility. And so we always have to have faith to overcome our fears. And in many cases, the severe damage of those who us who come from the bottom of empire. I'm just going to lift up a couple of points. One, faith is a spiritual eye. Faith is when we see ourselves not through the eyes of our enemies, but through the eyes of our God. And how we see ourselves affect how we act, what we think we can do. I think one of uh, Mother Jackson's favorite scriptures, Jacqueline Jackson, is, As a man thinketh, so is he. Faith shapes your self-concept, your faith in God, your vision of what is possible, your self-definition, your self-concept comes through your vision of God within. And then secondly, faith can operate in a minority status. That's the power of it. There were 10 that said we can't. There were two that said we can. And both reporters saw the same inhabitants, the same milk and honey, but they came to different conclusions. Often we come out of the same environment with different outcomes. I do believe there's a governor in Massachusetts who writes a book about two men called Westmore from the same neighborhood. One is now the governor, the other one was in prison, and he calls it the other Westmore. Same zip code, different outcomes. And often we can sit in the same church with the same teaching, but it doesn't matter what church if we don't apply it. We have to come by faith comfortable with being in the minority. Jesus called it the narrow road. And all of us are praying for poor Jay Morant in the NBA, mm-hmm. you know, trying to still be down after God has lifted you up. 
trying to be about that life when Christ wants to give you abundant life. Sometimes the world's fashions don't fit me. We have to dare to be different. In fact, following the crowd is lame. Joshua and Caleb become comfortable holding down the minority opinion, the minority report. And the question is today, whose report will you believe? The one that says you can't or the one that says you can. And so your faith early will determine your future. Listen, out of the 12, only two made it to the land of promise. And faith was their entry ticket. So today, whether you can or you can't, will determine how you see yourself and the God that is in you. Amen. Amen. Reverend Dr. Marshall Hatch, the New Mount Pilgrim Baptist Church here in Chicago. You need to get on, get on over there and get blessed and see this magnificent cathedral that is on the west side of Chicago. I keep hearing it's the best side, but you know, at least I went to school over there. It's all one side as far as I'm concerned. We're all trying to get the same thing. Sending you so much love. Blessings, blessings, blessings to you and your beautiful family. They're all serving in that church. They are quite an inspiration. The magnificent Hatch family and the patriarch, Reverend Dr. Marshall Hatch. Thank you so much for being with us today. Sending you much, much, much love. Thank you for that word of faith this morning. Which which narrative are you going to believe? Hmm. Let's talk to Reverend. Well, I was about to make you a reverend because you sure do have an evangelical zeal about preventing infection and overall about looking at our, really helping us to become CEOs of our health. We did an integrative medicine health and wellness panel yesterday on the station. And the next time they have one of those, you've got to be on it. Uh, because we were talking to an acupuncturist. We talked to a doctor who uh, understood the connection between head and heart. Um, we spoke with a spiritual leader, who, you know, who talked to us about the, the impact of, of what uh, trauma can do to you. And on and on and on and on. And we still find ourselves um, in, this, in this moment in which we really are... We want to put COVID in the rearview mirror, but the issues about our health surround us every single day. Um, talk to me about what it is that you want us to know in this moment. In this moment, I mean, what hand hygiene? You I mean from from that to, you know, just people are going to have to deal with less the COVID. Uh, the COVID protections that we had, they're being taken away. The monies that that we had to get us more food or even to get us fresher food. You know, that's that's all going away. What's the path forward, Dr. Knighton? Good morning. Good morning. I think one thing for us to consider is going to first and foremost understand that we're talking about a condition that happened not too long ago um, when we talk about COVID-19 and the fact that it's not in arrear. And when I say it's not in arrear, we're still understanding things about it that we didn't understand before. And as a result of that, we're starting to see those dollars shift. And so where many people think that, yes, the support is going away, it's almost as if it's not necessary. It's going away out of, like, let's say, pockets and benefits. But you're starting to see more money that's ramping up, that's going towards 
research to now discover what do you do with people that have long COVID. Long mm-hmm. COVID meaning those symptoms are still long and lingering even after the illness itself is gone. It could mean that you are now tested negative. It could mean that you are now asymptomatic, but you're still having having some sort of lingering symptom that has not gone away, even though you're no longer contagious or at risk for COVID. And we're talking about things that can go from being present after COVID to three months, and some people experiencing up to years, meaning you have some individuals that their ears keep ringing. You have some, they have a chronic cough that just won't go away. So when we think about where the money is going and it's going towards long COVID, I tell people, you don't want COVID. And if you have had COVID, then the risk of you getting COVID over and over again, we still are unaware of what long-term consequences can occur as a result of that being in your body over and over again, let's know one time. So when we mention practicing prevention, hand hygiene, distancing, masking when it's appropriate, ensuring that you are taking care of your health and getting your antioxidants and your vegetables to make sure that your body is healthy just in case you encounter another illness. You want to stay ready or have your body ready so you don't have to get ready so you don't have to think about those consequences. And I say sacrifice what it is that you think you want right now for what you really want later, and that's health. We don't know when the next pandemic may be. We don't know when the next pathogen is around the corner. Whether this thing leaked in the lab, whether, you know, it literally did have the origins from a bat and then it translated over. We may not have all of the answers, but we know that it got here somehow. And we know that there's long-term consequences associated with it. So with that being said, take care of your health and understand that infection prevention and control practices, as we shared over time and on this show, continues to prevail. And it's not just a COVID infection prevention practice, but it is an infection prevention practice against other illnesses just in general. Infection prevention, everybody. Hey, Dr. Nina, H-E-Y-D-R-N-I-N-A. Follow her on social media if you want to get some of the best, most practical advice regarding your health. She's got it. There's so much that she brings up that, you know, that we just don't even think about. And these, uh, and if you listen to the World Health Organization and all of these other foundations that have had something to say about COVID, now they have switched the conversation over to infection prevention. How can we prevent the spread? How can we prevent the spread? How can you not, how can you prevent yourself from getting not just COVID, so many things. So many things. So everybody, please take good care of yourself. Sending you so much love. Dr. Shanina Knighton, of course, we're going to have Paul Vallis in the next hour, at the bottom of the next hour, to talk about his vision for Chicago. But now we're going to, I want to hear from you. What is your vision for Chicago? What do you need this new mayor to do? And who are you inclined to vote for? Yeah. Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT are the candidates talking about the issues that you want to discuss are the questions and the debates that you want to hear asked are they being asked 
And please call Rainbow Push at 773-FREEDOM, 773-FREEDOM. We will be having our own debate, and we want to hear from you because we want to present your questions to the candidates on March 31st. Let's talk, everybody, about this mayoral race in Chicago. It is heating up. They say Paul Vallis has the lead, and um, now we want to know, uh, but a fourth of you have not made a decision yet. So it's anybody's race. It's anybody's race. And who's being polled anyway? Have you gotten the phone call? Call me at 773-763-9278. Back in just a moment. We can change the world. Change the world. Change the world. We can change the world. We can change the world. Change the world. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Friday, March 10th, 2023. We're going to have Paul Vallis on in the next hour, but we want to hear from you in within the next hour about what it is that you want me to ask him. What is it that you want from this new mayor that we will have April 4th? Uh, you can vote, everybody, and you can you can register to vote. Say you're not registered right now. We have same-day same on-site voter registration here in Chicago. So let us get out and vote, everybody. Do not let the minority make a majority. Uh, make, a, make, a, make a decision for the majority. Don't do that. Get out and vote. Voting is important. You don't always get what you want or who you want. But if you continue to advocate, you can get what you need. That's all political pressure is. No one wanted LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson. Oh, my gosh. From Texas, uh, he was not someone who black people in particular were, warmed, were warming up to at all. Yeah, just and, and progressives and, and, and civil rights advocates. They said, oh, boy, are we, in, are we in for a ride? And we were in for the ride of our lives. Turns out he was probably the best modern president aside from Lincoln that we have had. Absolutely. But that's because of our advocacy. It didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. He saw the he made some political decisions and we did, too. So no matter who gets into office, you're going to have to continue to advocate. You're going to have to go to the city council meetings. You're going to have to push your alders. You're going to have to work. The only way that the American system works is when you work it. So as we get into that, I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I want to hear from you today. What issues do you want these candidates to discuss? Remember, they you are hiring them to do a job for you. And all of the corporatists, the corporations, have their lobbyists lobbying them. Okay, yeah, that's happening too. So who is, I think everybody can win, but the people ought not be shortchanged. Call me at 773-763-WCPT. Uh, Shapiro, what's going on? Can we get some of your food? Can we order some of your food right now? I'm happy about the prom and the arches and because people are really doing that sort of thing now. They didn't do that in my day. You know, you just got dressed, took some pictures, and that was the end of that. <laughs> There was no party. <laughs> was just- uh, yeah, prom send-off is like a major, major thing at Santita, and it's getting bigger and bigger every year. And I tell you, it's like a mini-wedding <laughs> sometimes. But, yes, we are gearing up for prom season, so please get your orders in. 
Uh, we're currently uh, booking for April and May uh, weekends for prom send-off. And we do do the custom arches, the sweet tables, as well as also the custom name tables. But we are still selling our food, so you can always call us at 708-526-4546, 708-526-4546. You can also get your wings. Your um, We're still taking orders for Easter. I know it's coming up. And so uh, just give us a call at 708-526-4546, 708-526-4546. We'll be happy to handle any of your needs. Thank you so much, Santita. Thank you so much. Let's get to this let us get to the the mayoral race. Let us get to the mayoral race. Who do you have? It turns out the polls are showing that Paul Vallis has a solid lead by 11 points. But 24% of us have not made up our minds. And I'm sending something to my board operator. I'm going to send this to you right away because they said that in... Um, that up in uh, in Minnesota, they're not able to hear us clearly. So let me send that to you, and we're going to work all of that out for my AM 950 radio family. My AM 950 radio family, thanks for reaching out to me. Call me at 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-WCPT. Want to know what your thoughts are today. Um, and so we have got uh, Reverend Jeanette Wilson, uh, of course, uh, Maple Park United Methodist Church and Rainbow Push. We have got um, Dwight McKee, uh, National Action Network, one of the founders of Rainbow Push, I mean of Operation Push. And, of course, we have got, uh, and he's with the National Action Network, doing so much work to help Reverend uh, Dr. Marshall Hatch and Reverend Al Sharpton. And he continues to help all of us here and helps to keep us clear. Reverend Stephen Thurston the retired teaching pastor of the from Salem Baptist Church. But, of course, he's at New Covenant. His family church was so glad that he's with us today. He's got such a brilliant voice. And, of course, Kevin Lampy, a brilliant political strategist. And so we want to find out from you what are the races. Now it's beginning to shape up. It's, it turns out that, according to these polls, Mr. Vallis has a clear lead, but 24% of of us in Chicago haven't made up our minds yet. And, of course, that can continue to shift. Remember, the polls are but a snapshot in time. They're a snapshot in time. So let me start with you, Dwight McKee. What do you see? Morning, everybody. Well, I see people still uh, trying to make a decision uh, in terms of which way they want to go. Uh, I think that it's uh, earnest. A struggle a lot of people have because, particularly on the uh, the Gold Coast downtown side of town, who where you have a progressive liberal base of white people who believe in a lot of the causes that um, Brandon represent, but they also at the same time feel like they're under siege. And for the first time in their lives, they feel vulnerable to, you know, this madness of people uh, sticking up stores and banks in the middle of downtown and shootouts downtown and carjackings. And so they're much more prone to be law and order than they normally would be, particularly in a city like Chicago, where the liberals 
usually uh, a bit progressive and in in not so reactionary when it comes to the police. I mean, if you remember how the the demonstrations in uh, at the Democratic Convention back in '68, and a lot of the young people back then who were progressive when heads up with the police. Well, now they are grown or grandfathers and grandmothers, and it's not so predisposed to go hit the, the police now that they themselves feel under under assault. So I think it's a, it's a look and see. I think whoever has the best argument for their case, the most passionate argument, uh, can win this thing. I think Brandon still has a good chance at it. But I think he has to be a little more definitive in his argument and a little more explanatory when it comes to defunding the police so people will really understand what he's talking about. Mm. Uh, Kevin Lampy, your thoughts? It is um, it is important that we get um, we get beyond just the veneer of some of these issues that we talk about. If, if a candidate is discussing we need more police, how are we going to get more police? Where are we going to deal with residency? Uh, what are we going to deal with how long a, a, a person commits to the police department after we train them so they don't get poached away from another uh, municipality around the country? You know, Fort Lauderdale has been chasing after our police for a while, trying to get them hired and sending them down to the Oceanside City there. But we also have to dig into, you know, when we talk about public safety, let's talk about what happens and one of the reasons why are, are, we can be insecure. Um, what is the economic development issues? What is the social programming? What is the education? How does the education look? You have two people. We have an interesting point here. We have two. We have a public school teacher and a public school administrator running against each other. Let's get into the details. Let's talk what teachers need in the classrooms. Let's talk about what resources parents need uh, in order to prepare their child to go to school. What does you know? What is the role of uh, charter schools? What is the role of private schools? Um, what is the role of of neighborhood schools? What is the role of teachers? What is the role? Are we, you know, what is happening at our administration level? We we have two candidates who can who can and should be their feet held to the fire. But to get into the deep deep details, and we've got so many forums coming up. It, it's kind of an opportunity for everybody to learn more about these candidates. Yeah, because I think that we were not here. We're hearing buzzwords, but you know that's something that the media, Kevin, are demanding. Uh, but we really do need specifics. You know, like what do you plan to do uh, about the funding of the of the Chicago public schools? What role will these charter schools uh, have in this in this education landscape? Are we trying to achieve peace? Or law and order? What does all of this? What does all of this mean? What does all of this mean? And you know, and and let us. We need we need to find out exactly what is going on. Uh, Reverend Thurston, your thoughts? Yeah, white voters uh, determine who made the runoff. How black and Latino voters shift in the next few weeks is going to decide the winner because we know that race is one of the most definitive predictors in how an area votes in Chicago. And to the points that the previous two speakers made, which were excellent, uh, nearly half of Chicago voters had rated crime and public safety as their top two electoral issues. 
uh, and more than 60 percent of voters said that they felt personally unsafe in the city. I believe that that law and order language, as Dwight said, is resonating with a lot of white people in Chicago because for many of them, they've seen an uptick in crime in that area for the first time. And so they immediately want somebody who's going to come in and rectify that issue. We look at the shooting that took place in Highland Park. That one shooting in that one predominantly white affluent area struck a nerve. And there was legislation that was passed when black people been getting gunned down for decades and nothing had been done. So when white people holler, legislation and policy shifts. So we've got to pay attention to the language that Paul Vallis is using to align white people who are voting because we ain't coming out to vote. And that's going to shift the landscape of how this thing moves forward. Hmm. Well, you know, now, wait a minute. You make a point that the, you know, the hit dogs holler, right? And that mm-hmm. white people are pushing and they're advocating. What lesson are we to learn? Because many of us did not vote. And interestingly enough, Brandon Johnson did not win the black wards. Yeah. That's, that's just odd, just given his stance on public schools, you know, his advocacy for them. And, um, you know, and and Paul Vallis and his stance on charter schools, which if you when you go to these when you go to the people's fora, you know, these these meetings all around the city, people are very angry with him on the ground about the public school system. And yet they're not voting for the advocate for public schools. Why do you think that is? I mean, because you've been in Roseland, you're on the south side, uh, Pastor Thurston. What's going on? And is that many black people feel that their voice doesn't matter, that their vote doesn't count. We, we've heard this for years, for decades. There's apathy that's there. And then as younger generations have come along who've been disconnected, disassociated with the movement, with the fight, with understanding the nuance of policy and how policy is the real thing that pushes people because they don't because they lack have a misunderstanding or lack education in that space. They don't engage the space, but then just cry about the issue after someone has been put in office who's not going to make policy that benefits them. And so we've got this gap here. It leads us to the place and space we find ourselves in with black people not voting. We we have a linchpin in this thing. If we will come out to vote, I think Brandon would have a solid chance. If we would but come out and vote, what's going on as you, as you see it, Reverend Jeanette Wilson? Good morning, Santita and, and, and uh, panelists. I think that we have to really focus on, in the next uh, three weeks, civic education, civics education and turnout. We have to increase our turnout. We have the power. And I think most people, as everyone has said, don't really understand how you make things happen. You can't sit back and be a couch potato watching your television, texting your friends, posting on Facebook your your displeasure when you haven't voted. We didn't vote. 30% turned out. If we turn out our strength, we can win, and once you turn out, you have to hold people accountable. The idea that I elect you and you care about uh, me is just ridiculous. Nobody cares unless you push them every single day. When you go to the public schools in the black community, parents are so busy they can't even pick up a report card. They can't meet their child's teacher. They don't spend any time early in the morning or if you have the, uh, the school board online. They don't attend. 
Because it's like, y'all take care of my kids and then send them home. That's not the way life works. We have to be more engaged, more in, involved. You have people that are retired, people that are unemployed. You don't go to a city council meeting to see what they're talking about. How are they moving budgets? Who's making decisions? <clears throat> we don't in, make. We don't go to our automatic meetings to make sure that they are doing things in our neighborhood, passing policies that impact us. We have park districts in our community that never open for children. So you have kids on the street all night after school closes at three. Kids are just running rampant. They're not anywhere with adult supervision. These parks have to become centers of activity for after school for children to do homework. We have to make that happen. We don't ask, we don't demand that our park districts hire our children in the summer, hire our children after school. You don't have this kind of thing in in predominantly white neighborhoods. There's a nexus between the school and the park. We haven't just said, how, how is it when you build all these little strip malls in our community, we still don't have the jobs? How is it that you have construction in our community and we're not digging the holes? We're not dumping the dirt in the the holes. We're not involved in the economic engines that run this city. And so it's not more police. It's more investment. It's not more police. It's more programs for children. How does a 13-year-old carjack, they can't get a license, they don't know how to drive, that's why they carjack, wreck the car, because some adult has them doing things and they give them a little money. We can turn that around, but you have to demand that whoever runs, this is this is our agenda, and we're going to hold you accountable. But you can't sit home and not vote and just complain. They don't have enough money to hire police. People don't want to be cops anymore. It's dangerous for them. That's why they shut down two expressways yesterday to commemorate a fallen police officer. This crime is uh, economically driven, is socially emotionally driven because you have a lot of mental health issues out here. You have a lot of issues, and we're just sitting back talking, talking to the radio, talking to the television, talking to social media. How about you vote? We can can elect whoever we want. We have that kind of power in this city, and we must exercise it. So all I'm going to do is help get the turnout and try to educate people on why the vote is significant. We don't have a minimum wage, but we're not fighting for it. So we got but, but that's that's true. But that's what what you have to do. But you also have to have people who are running who are sensitive enough to put these issues out there too, um, because these park districts are not open as they were when when, when I was a child. They're, they're not open. The schools that were open have been closed. So there's Absolutely. a lot. I mean, so there are things that we need to do, and that's part of the civics education, understanding how the system works and how you need to work it in order for it to work for you. But the other piece is you have a corporatocracy that is shutting down the system on us, and we have to know how to fight well, back. Let me go to Maria. Well, we, let me let me bring her up. Hold on. Hmm? I'm sorry, before we bring up we Maria? Can, yes? I was just going to say, we can fight those corporations. That's what Push used to do. We were able to shut them down. If you don't cut us in, we'll cut you out. That's why there's no Red Rooster National Tea Food stores in this city. If we don't have the jobs, if we don't get the contracts, you don't get to sell. But we have to support the organizations, but we also have to understand the need for them. You have to understand that everything, these these gains were not given to you. They were fought for. They were fought Absolutely. for. But you also have to press people who are running 
because you want them, you need them. What are you going to do? You all, they know how unfair this system is. What are you going to do about it aside from putting some, putting some more police on me? I don't need them. I don't need more of that. I don't need someone who's mad with his wife or her or her husband or their partner. I don't need you on the streets with me. I don't need another home and square. We got enough problems. And then you have people who are on the police force who want the police force to be fair and just. And they don't have any space. I mean, this is, come on now. This just, I mean, and then you don't want to teach the history correctly in the schools. I mean, come on, come on. Let me go to Maria. Maria, what's on your mind? Good morning, everyone. Is this Good my Medi? Is this my Medi? Yes, we love you, Maria. This is one of our own. This is one of our original morning stars. Send her much love. She has been triumphant in her health care struggles. And we love you, Medi, attorney Medi Rodriguez. So, so talk yes. to us because <laughs> she is an attorney oh, also. So so what's what's on your mind today? Okay, so I'm going to make an analogy, all right? When the primary was held, I, I look at it as a menu with all these different types of food available, and I couldn't quite make up my mind. So I had to wait because I was kind of, you know, undecided. And then when I kept hearing the people, you know, uh, the candidates speak and, and so on, so I sort of was able to narrow it down and, and come up with a candidate that I was willing to uh, support. Now... We have a menu with two very distinctive people. I think I know where I'm leading for towards, but here's the thing. I've learned so much from, you know, candidates saying things and what they actually get accomplished while they're in office. So I have to look at what are they saying? What are they promising? Will they be able to get it done? Because it's not just them alone. They can't be dictators. They have to give the cooperation of the older persons, okay? So this, it's not a void. You know, they, it can't take just one person to do it. Yes, they can promote, and they could um, enlist uh, older folks to join them on, on their campaign, on their plans, you know, their, their, their agenda. But you got to look at the whole picture. What are they promising? Is it feasible? Are they going to be able to deliver it? I've been so disappointed in the past um, in a, one big deliverer, uh, someone who made a lot of promise was in the uh, previous administration, and uh, he basically um, basically was trying to destroy our government, our nation. So now I've gotten more skeptical. Um, I think it's so important that we educate ourselves, that we need to look at every facet of the candidate. I mean, I'm talking in and out so that we are very comfortable with our decision as to who we're going to choose. Who are we going to pick that we believe will be our best uh, representative of what we uh, wish to see happen in the city? I love the city. I'm a native Chicagoan born and raised here. I've seen it all. So I'm like, uh, yeah, let's you know make the promises, but you know what? You got to keep them. You got to keep them, but you got to get cooperation from everybody because this is not a one man, one woman game. And um, so yeah, and right now I have some concerns. Um, yes, I. I Are you undecided, police officer? Yes, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you who you're going to vote but, for, but you're undecided. Right. What what will tip yeah, you in the direction? What what will tip what will tip you toward a candidate? What do you need? Uh, what do you need? What do you need to hear them say? And and what are you willing to advocate 
for them to do once they get in office. Because see, because there's right, exactly, and I'm, okay. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to work at my my you know you know what I mean my behind off. I got about thirty seconds. Sure things. So I have to be convinced that the candidate that I choose represents what I believe is in the best interest of the city. Not okay. no particular group, no race. No, I look at the candidate. I'm not going to look at their race. Their, you know what I mean? I just want to mm-hmm. look at the candidate. What are they saying? Have they captured my 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 um, attention and and whether I'm willing to go with that candidate? Okay, okay. So, what do you think, everybody? Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Who are you voting for? We're going to have Paul Vallis on at the bottom of the next hour, but we want to hear your thoughts right now. Call us at 773-763-WCPT. More of the Santita Jackson Show here on WCPT and AM 950 Radio, my Minneapolis St. Paul family. If you're having uh, trouble with your feed, please go to am950radio.com or wcpt820.com. Wcpt820.com. And meet us over here on, on YouTube, the Santita Jackson Show or Santita Jackson and Friends. That's right. So you can get the whole experience. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. At the bottom of the hour, we will be talking with Paul Vallis, uh, one of the candidates, one of the two persons running to be mayor. The election is on April 4th, but you can vote up until then, so please make sure that you do that. On-site, same-day registration. It is... An easy thing to do. Remember, everybody, before you, you might not get who you want when you vote, but you can get what you need after the vote has been cast, whether the person you like or dislike has been elected. It's a matter of advocacy. You must advocate. Voting is the end of the beginning, not the beginning of the end. That is when the real work begins. What do they say at the wedding? You ought to cry there. Yeah, that's it. Because the real work begins after the vows have been spoken. So come on, everybody. Let's get into it. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278 here on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. On March 31st, Rainbow Push will be having a debate, a debate, a mayoral debate. And we're just really working on getting both candidates just locked in. It's going to be it's going to be something that you want to attend. And you know what? I want you to be able to ask the questions of uh of Mr. Vallis now. He's always so gracious when I ask him to be on the show, be on the show and so is Mr. Johnson, Commissioner Johnson. And so, let's get to it everybody. Here on the Santita Jackson show, what are your thoughts about the race? What are the issues as you see them? Renee, why don't you call in? Joyce, why don't you call in? Dave, yes, you don't have to live in this city. We're talking about an urban American agenda. What's happening? Public education is under threat. We have fewer hospitals and we have greater health needs. We have hospitals that are inadequately resourced, but we need more resources. We need economic development in our neighborhoods and on and on and on and on. Now's the time. 
as Mr. Vallis's people are listening to the show, as Mr. Jo- as Commissioner Johnson's people are listening to the show. Now is the time for you to let them know what it is that you want. Let it let them know what it is that you need. Park districts need to be opened. That's right. Think about that, everybody. As our parents are working 24-7, 365, different shifts. In Chicago, we'll have a high of 36 degrees, snow showers. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 33 degrees, snow showers there as well. And then the Bulls will be playing the Rockets tomorrow, and the Nets will be playing the Timberwolves tonight. In the NHL, Chicago will be playing the Panthers tonight, and the Wild will be playing the Sharks on Saturday. Call us at 773-763-9278-773-763-9278. Seven people were killed during a mass shooting on Thursday at a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall in the German city of Hamburg in what the country's leader denounced as a brutal act of violence. The alleged perpetrator also died in the incident, according to the CNN report. A week after the kidnapping of four Americans in Mexico, investigators are still working to piece together how and why the abduction unfolded. This comes after a cartel apologized for carrying out what one victim's father has called, quote, a senseless crime quote, unquote, that left two Americans and one Mexican woman dead. President Biden's budget is being praised by progressives for uh, its attention to social safety net issues. He released his annual budget on Thursday, outlining his policy priorities for the year ahead. The 2024 budget mostly rehashed the president's earlier proposals to expand the social safety net and pay for it by raising taxes on the wealthy and corporations. Chinese President President uh, Xi Jinping was reappointed for another five years in a ceremonial vote in Beijing's Great Hall of the People, and the troubles keep coming for Norfolk Southern. Uh, Questioned at a Senate hearing on the East Palestine uh, disaster, the CEO of Norfolk Southern, Alan Shaw, would not agree to end precision scheduled railroading, a Wall Street-led profit-maximizing approach that critics say endanger communities. He would not agree for seven days of paid work leave for his workers or ceasing stock paybacks. And those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. We've got Reverend Jeanette Wilson, Kevin Lampy, Dwight McKee, and Reverend Stephen Thurston talking about the mayoral election. They say Vallis is in the lead. They say that 24% of you have not made your decision. And you hear from Medi. You hear from our Morning Star Medi that she said, look, I haven't made up my mind yet. I'm, I'm hearing something. I don't. I'm, I'm not hearing what it, what it is that I need. I don't quite know, but there's a lot that I need to hear. Dwight McKee, what do you think people are listening for? I mean, 24% seems, it seems like a lot of people are still not quite sure which way they're going to go. Well, I think they're listening to where they fit. Mm, the implications that these policies have on them and their everyday lives. If I was going to ask Dallas a question, I would ask him, why does the Trump crowd, why does the right seem so uh, asphyxiated on you? Why do they seem to have so much adulation for you? And how do you explain it? And what do they expect to get out of that relationship? They have expectations, and you have expectations. If I were going to ask, Brandon, of course, you're not asking him, how can, is he going to pay for his big ideas? Is it going to be more property taxes? And who's going to more directly benefit from uh, his new ideas, the teacher unions or the children? Or 
or both? Or are they mutually incompatible? Or they, uh, if one benefits, does the other benefit? Are they uh, mutually exclusive? May not be. Everybody may be able to benefit from it. I would just, I would want more specificity from each candidate in terms of how this affects me directly and who's going to pay for this directly. Are the rich going to be bought into the who seems to get the benefits in Vallis's case? Are they also going to have a fiscal responsibility to, to make this work? Will this department be expanded in such a way that it become inclusive and fit everybody in town, the Asians, blacks, people who have been left out of that process, or is it just another uh, annuity program for the Irish, which is, ha- which is what it has been for the last 100 years? How are we going to fit and who's going to pay? Hmm. Your thoughts, Reverend Stephen Thurston. And the candidates are going to have to articulate and direct their message. I pastor black people, middle class to poor black people. That's whose primary concern I care about as I distinguish who I'll support and who I'll drive my people to support. So there has to be a clear plan laid out to address the issues. When we look at the fact that seniors, those 65 and older, are the predominant voters in this past portion of the election cycle, how are we going to impact the lives of our African-American seniors and make sure that they sustain a quality of life, that they can afford to stay in their homes, that they sacrifice and pay for property taxes are now putting pressure on them and their fixed incomes as we continue to look at the exodus of black people from the city of Chicago because they just can't afford to live here. And then the quality of services are not up to par. And so how are the candidates going to speak to the people that I lead, preach to, pastor, Mary and Barry, Sunday after Sunday? Well, you know, I mean, because Mary and Barry was that involved leader, as you well know. He, he was just he was very, very much a man of the people. And that's why he was so beloved upon his death. Basically, it was a state funeral in Washington, D.C., state funeral because he had seen and touched so many people and he met the people where they uh, he met them he met he met them at their needs reverend uh, Jeanette Wilson I mean the fact is we wouldn't have a BET were it not for Marion Barry he saw this cable uh, this cable network that he had in Washington and he decided to give it to the hometown guy Robert Johnson as opposed to Percy Sutton out of New York um, and he created a black entrepreneurial class in Washington, which had not existed before. When you look at what uh, Maynard Jackson did in Atlanta, he completely changed Atlanta, the South, and really America. I mean, he demanded 50 years ago, if you want to do business with the city of Atlanta, we must have X number of black folks here. And he went and he pushed all of these programs into the community as well. I mean, what... What are the things that, uh, what, do, what do you want to press the candidates on? What should they be pressed on, Reverend Wilson? I think there are three things. Uh, housing is a big issue in, in the city of Chicago. How will we make sure 
that uh, during this mayor's term that we will expand affordable housing? How will we resource uh, the people who have Section 8 vouchers in a way that will help them uh, live in community and and have a safe community for them to live in? Having perhaps uh, using the people who have Section 8 vouchers to give them jobs to maintain the properties that they live in. If I clean it up, you, I guarantee you my children will not mess it up. If I am used to maintain and secure the buildings as opposed to external people, then it creates jobs, it creates pride in the facility. If I'm the one painting that wall, you're not going to write graffiti on the wall. And so I think that we have to look at how do we create jobs in community. Are these mayors going to convene the financial institutions in the city to make sure that they are funding uh, small businesses so that even when they get a city contract, they have the capacity to pay their workers. You've got to look at economic engines and how we're going to reinvest. The buses, uh, public uh, buses have always been the middle-class jobs. And so how can we train a whole other generation to work the CTA and RTA lines, how do we get them more engaged in, in the transportation? How are we going to bring the trade training back to the city schools? Every school should have a trade that they teach. When I went to high school, you had wood shop, iron shop. Not You didn't have to go all the way to the north side or go out in the suburbs to learn basic uh, contracting and construction. Most schools taught you a trade. You could get your car fixed at Dunbar. You could get uh, landscaping at Marshall High School. We need to bring the trades back to our public high schools. And so are you prepared to do that? When will you do it? How will you do it? How are you going to fund it? How will you work with these trade unions to open up opportunities for blacks and other people who are not Irish or Italian? Mm-hmm. Well, Kevin Lampy. Well, I mean, Kevin Lampy. what, I mean, because it seems that the debates are not digging down deeply enough. Something, something is being missed here. People, people want some other answers, at least, Kevin. Absolutely. I think it's um, the responsibility of both the candidates and the hosts of the forums to get into those details. Like, for instance, I think one of the things that you should discuss here at the bottom of the hour when we have Paul Ballas on with you is, is, we're going to have at least 16 new people in the city council. And how is, what is his relationship going to be with city council? Um, who should support? Who should pick committee chairman? Should it be the mayor or the city council? And, and what, is the, what is the city council? You know, in Alderman, have two main responsibilities. Basically, to be the, the, uh, um, the, the janitor, almost, for the, for the ward. Um, it's providing security services, getting the garbage cans, getting the streets plowed. Uh, but they also have a legislative responsibility as well, where they're pushing ideas and making sure that the needs of the people are met. But what is going to be his relationship with aldermen? How does he look to work with them? You know, how will he work with an alderman that he knows that disagrees with him on every single issue? Um, how is he going to, you know, how is, as mayor, is, are they going to treat their staff? Um you know, we, we heard complaints about the last mayor, and one of the reasons why there was discontent was that, that she didn't listen uh, when people brought up negative things within the, uh, within the administration. But how do you handle that? Because, you know, how, do you, how can you tell us that your skin is going to be thick enough 
to take the attacks, but always have the people in your heart. Hmm. <laughs> Call us at 773-763-9278. For this particular uh, visit with us, Mr. Vallis will not be taking questions. I'm going to speak with him one-on-one. What I'm trying to do is call from you the questions that you want him to answer, the issues that you'd like for him to discuss. So let me go to you, Mama D. Mama D, what's on your mind today? Well, hallelujah, greetings to you. Uh, the 14th Amendment defines uh, citizenship, and only citizens can lawfully vote in federal, state, and local elections. So my question is how does the city justify giving sanctuary settlers and seekers the right to vote and work as police officers and have bilingual preferred policies that's based on privileges that American Africans do not have because English is their mother tongue language. Okay, how do how will he justify giving jobs and the vote to people who are not citizens? Is that what you're asking? Right. Because because English is our mother tongue language, and they are having bilingual preferred policies, and these are based on privileges that American Africans, we're the only ones that fit in that category, because everybody else that came here came from a country with a land and a language being stolen from a continent. Our history is different. So uh, American English is our mother tongue language. Well, you know, but I tell you what, I tell you what, Mama D, the first uh, European settlers here were the Spanish, which is why that's the most widely spoken language in this hemisphere. I personally believe that we can learn, we, we are advantaged by speaking more than one tongue, even though I do believe that America needs to have an official language, and, and that's what ties us as well. Uh, but that is a question that people, you know, I'm just... Engaging you. That is a question that people do. That is a question that people do have, and I will try to pose it to him today. Okay? Right. Can, can I just finish with this? Because just very quickly. The citizenship, in order to pass the citizenship test, you must read, write, and speak English. Mm-hmm. But these people who you're in speaking of read, write, and speak so English, I'm not though. That we can't can't learn a second mm-hmm. language, I'm saying to give up our mother tongue language and, and have other people uh, uh, have to require to pass the test, not, not obey those rules. We yeah, have, I think I think that the people that you're speaking language. of, many of them, you know, I mean, it's their mother tongue, but most of us, if we have to pass it, an American English uh, test, we can't pass it. And I hear you, but I, you got to be very careful with that because many of us can't pass, can't even pass the citizenship test. And we've been living but that here. Is just it, but, but if you're not, I hear you. Here, I'm, just, I'm just, I'm just, ma- I'm Mama D. Mama D. I hear you. I'm just, I'm just giving you just, you got to be real careful. You got to be real precise when you say these things because if well, a citizen, no, 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 what I'm saying to you, Mama D, hold on. Let's engage each other, but let's not talk over each other. What I'm saying to you is if you apply that standard, many of us won't pass it. And I'm just saying you got to consider that. So as you have this policy, I hear you. Just continue to tweak it because you don't want to set a bar that we cannot clear. 
because they've already taken civics out of schools. So most of us don't know about the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. If you, the Constitution says, not me, it's not my personal... I got you, but Mama D, Mama D, most of us are not even familiar with the Constitution. That is the truth. Well, stay right there. Mama D, Mama D, I hear you, but let me bring on Dwight. Dwight, most of us are not even familiar with the things that help us to become the citizens that we are. Well, I got really bad news for you. In this generation, most of us can't read. It's not we don't read. Our literacy for many of our children are at the third, fourth, and fifth grade level. Well, wait a minute. Put a pin in that. I was told as a as a political commentator on Fox News that I needed to aim toward someone who was reading at the fifth or sixth grade level. Because that is where we were, in furtherance of your and, point. And one of the reasons because reading and writing has been taken out of the schools. They don't teach the language, the mm-hmm. logic of language. They teach memory, where you, you, you memorize words that you really don't understand the meaning at all. They don't even on teach you cursive. Side. They want to take that out of schools. I mean, what? On the west side, which is where I have, I'm the dean of my Martha class, is in my guys are uh, 20, 21, 22. The first thing I explain to them is what a syllable is and a vowel is. Because don't, don't, nobody's ever told them that. Mm-hmm. They don't understand, they don't understand what a verb is. They don't understand what a noun is. And all of them, many of them, have graduated or left school in 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 sophomores and juniors, but they are functionally illiterate. Mm-hmm. I mean, and let me let me speak to Daniel. Daniel, I am very clear that the native language or their languages of the Americas, it's not English. I was speaking of the European project. You know, when Europeans came over here and took the land from indigenous people, yeah, it was the Spaniards who started this thing. Um, Queen Isabella, thank you very much. So I'm I'm here. I'm with you. I'm with you. But I'm just saying we have to be very careful, Reverend uh, Reverend Thurston and Reverend Wilson and Kevin and uh, and and White about this about these bars that we set because these bars that we want to set um, the game is stacked against us, Reverend Thurston. Amen. <laughs> They're not even teaching you cursive writing now. They don't want to do that. They don't want you to read. They don't want you to write. They want, they want you to be on an assembly line, and they're about to put robots on that. Yes, ma'am. Evidence of the, the, the massive school closing in our community and and the funding formula that's stacked against us to provide equal and adequate resources and exposure to our young people to equip them to be effective in society. It's, it's the furtherance of the schoolhouse to jailhouse pipeline by creating leaks in that pipeline so people can't get what they need to get out and to move up in life. It's a lot, everybody. So, you know, we're about to welcome Paul Vallis onto the show and want to ask him some pointed questions um, in a respectful way so that we can find out. And I will do the same thing with Commissioner Johnson because we need some answers. We need education. We need a safe, affordable housing. We need, we need, we need, we need. Not just what we want, what we need. Our needs are not being met. Most Americans cannot afford to go to the emergency room. Please, people I work with here at the station do not have health care. They don't have health insurance. 
it's very expensive for you to provide health insurance for your employees. That having been said, it's very expensive for you to still buy it, even if you go on go on the exchange through ACA. We got a lot that we need. Got a lot that we need, and you have a voice, and that is your voice is your vote. So please use it, and then advocate after you have voted. Paul Vallis coming up on the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. It is March 10th, 2023. We are hmm, about three and a half weeks away from electing a new mayor here in Chicago. And one of the two persons running for that office... Paul Vallis, the former CEO of the Chicago Public Schools, is with us today. And we're so glad that you could grab the time to be with us. We were just speaking uh, as he was coming up on the air. There are so, so many people who are calling him to do everything all through the day. This is the time when he has the 20, the 21-hour day. And we thank you for making the time to be with us um, on, WC, well, on WCPT. And so thank you so much. Let me get right to it, Mr. Vallis, because sure. we saw the hey, debate the other night. Me. Oh, you know, you know, there's an open door policy here for you. You know that. You, know, you, you absolutely know that. But, you know, there are a couple, there are several areas that I want us to get into and that, that I want you to answer some questions about, because I've been asking people what they want to hear from you. And, of course, you know education. We have an administrator and we have a school teacher basically running. So education really is at the heart of, of our concerns. You've got Tony Evers to the north in Wisconsin, former school teacher. I mean, you have teachers. I don't know what it is about you all in education, but you all do get involved in public policy. But there it is. There you have it. What about education. Um, Just after you did the show, there was an interview in which they were talking about, some people call it critical race theory. I just call it an accurate teaching of of history. You know, you can't take history. History is not gossip. History is what happened. How do you uh, please speak to that, because the concern is that um, history is being sanitized. It's the truth is not being told, which means it's not history. It's propaganda. What do you I mean, as people come and come to you to talk about uh, critical race theory and just an which is a legal term, but an accurate teaching of what happened in America, all the things that make America what America is. Why don't yeah, you speak to that? By, yeah, you know, let me respond by saying I did not. I've never said I oppose critical race theory. And, mm-hmm. and you may well know, certainly, certainly your family knows that back in the 90s, we incorporated black history into the entire curriculum we just not during black history month but Mm -hmm. it became incorporated into the entire curriculum and we provided special training for the teachers a second thing i did was we created a african history curriculum that was incorporated into world history because it's not enough to talk about black history when you're talking about world history why is world history always a discussion of western civilization so we incorporated african history into our world history curriculum. We also did a third thing, and you, and I know Push is is fully aware of this. We allowed local school councils and encouraged local school councils to go beyond just the core curriculum. And there are a number of schools, like the Betty Shabazz School and others, 
that actually uh, developed exclusively Afrocentric curricula. You know, there were some schools that incorporated or supplemented their curriculum to have a, a Latino-centric curriculum. But mm-hmm. the school councils during those periods had broad authority, and they would partner with local faith-based institutions, and they would, in effect, uh, you know, do, for example, if you go to, ever go to Mike Flager's church, it, it's, a, it's a Catholic curriculum, but, but it's an Afrocentric Catholic curriculum. So those are things that we do uh, that we did, and, and those are just facts. And, and it's, sure. it, it, it's for that reason that people mm-hmm. like Joyce Kenner and, and, and distinguished educators like Craig Williams and others uh, are not only backing me, but are actively engaged in my campaign. So that's my history, and that's my record. I, I have all... I have warned about the importance, though, of ensuring that you're not that you're also focusing on the core curriculum and that you're also focusing on accountability, because our test scores, the test scores in the school system, only six percent of the of the black kids uh, in the Chicago public school system are meeting state standards in math and 11 percent are meeting state standards in language arts. So clearly you need more instructional time to ensure that you're focusing on the core subject areas. No question. I think, though, what you also need, you know, we need there to be cultural sensitivity because we can't tell what we can't say that white kids, we can't teach how heinous slavery was in the United States uh, because it might make white kids feel badly. I mean, the fact is this is the taking of indigenous lands uh, because this is an indigenous continent. Uh, this hemisphere is indigenous, how they have been extinguished, what happened in the transatlantic slave trade, and on and on and on. That must be taught because we're all everything that we are, uh, Mr. Vallis, not just pieces. We can't cherry-pick history because that's not truth. And you know as an educator, if we're going to really understand who we are, we have to understand all that we are. We can't miss a day. My father often says that if you don't like birthdays, try missing one. You know how that is. But what about vocational education? As a champion of education, I want to know, what about vocational education? That That has been diminished. I mean, because now it's you or Commissioner Johnson. So we now need to know what it is that that you all are planning to do, and how is it that we can begin to have kids come out of high school and go into the trades, and and will you then advocate with unions to make sure that we can get our kids from high school into these trade unions, and so they can get these jobs? You know, you know, it was interesting the night of the debate. Uh, uh, Commissioner Johnson was asked if he had met with anyone from the police department on. Who might be promoted into position of responsibility? And of course, I met with dozens of people, and he had not met with anyone. Well, it's the same thing with the trades. I've actually met with all the trades. I've actually mm-hmm. talked to all the trades about creating paid internships for all the students that the district could fund through the use of a lot of money that's currently wasted on, on things like irrelevant electives and irrelevant courses. You know, when, when we were in the Chicago Public Schools, and Craig Williams was my director of high school programs, and, and you know Craig. Uh, we had a work-study program, a paid work-study program, where the students would be enrolled in school during the day, and then in the afternoons they would be in work-study. And we got work-study jobs with city agencies, with city departments. There, uh, we did work-study jobs with local employers. People got subsidies. In fact, there were students who were allowed to form their own businesses. What I proposed for the better part of four years, and I've written it out and I, I detailed it in a whole series of op-ed pieces, including the Tribune, is requiring that all city departments, all city agencies, all city contractors 
the unions that the city has a relationship with, uh, that all, anyone getting big, big uh, contracts from the cities or subsidies, that they all be required to provide work-study jobs. And, and that would be work-study jobs in hundreds of professions. In fact, I've recommended, and what I would do as superintendent, is I would take the seven military high schools, all of which I opened in the 40-hour PC programs, and I would create paid work-study opportunities for those students who were interested in, in, in the first responder professions, police, fire, EMT, EMS. So the, the young people would go to school, get their high school diploma, while in an internship or apprenticeship that would pay them in the profession of their choice. And you could bring that to scale. You could bring that to scale within a year. And I've articulated how to do that, you know, because I'm all for, you know, uh, designating a trade high school. And, uh, you know, but look, the trades have been trying to get the current school district to designate a trade high school for the better part of four or five years. So they are so frustrated now. They're going to partner with uh, Bill Mezikowski's school, uh, um, uh, Hope, Hope Academy, on the west side because the school district. Uh, have not identified either the school or the business or, or the building uh, to offer the trade school. So I'm talking about universal work study, just not in the trades, but you could have universal work study with law departments, with social service agencies. You could offer the, the uh, hospitality industry could offer paid work study jobs for the kids. And I'm talking about 20, 30,000 kids. Any sophomore, junior, senior should have an opportunity for paid work study. What about this? As we look at education broadly, what is the role of charter schools, uh, the privatized schools and the neighborhood schools and, say, the Whitney Youngs and the Northside Preps? Where do you see all of these schools, different schools, fitting in the, in the constellation of public education? Well, I think they're part of the mix. Look, poor children are denied public school choices unless they win the lottery and get into the magnet schools. And let me point out, that I opened all the magnet high schools except Lane Tech and Whitney Young. And there are only, I think, seven magnet high schools of the 126 traditional public high schools. So when, when Brandon says, oh, the magnet high schools are stealing all the money, even though many uh, of the CTU uh, uh, leaders, if not all of them, send their kids to, to, to schools that are not in their communities or they send their kids to magnet schools. I mean, the bottom line here is, is obviously magnet schools and more magnet schools, I think, are good. But my approach at CPS, as, as you may well know, was to put magnet programs in neighborhood schools. So we opened uh, 15 international baccalaureate programs like mm-hmm. Abbott Lincoln, Lincoln, uh, Lincoln High School. Uh, we put those programs in 15 neighborhood high schools, and we did international, and we did a world language academy programs, and I think eight high schools. We did advanced math science academy programs. We opened our military academy programs. So what we did was to significantly expand traditional public public school choices. Insofar as charter schools, and Santina, I said this once before when we were at the last uh, push uh, forum, uh, with respect to charter schools, I only opened 15 charter schools, and I opened the Youth Connection Charter School. Uh, Jack Weiss, those are... Those are these alternative schools that had existed in the community for years that educate uh, uh, individuals who have been released from incarceration, overage, underachieving, dropouts. I'm talking 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. 
those are the only charter schools that I opened. Artie Duncan then came in mm-hmm. and opened like a hundred schools. So, uh, you know, so well, will we see more. Well, will we see more charter schools, you know, under a Vallis administration, or will we see a more robust neighborhood school system? Well, we- yeah, you know, let me point out that I think we have enough charter schools. You know, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're going to open additional charter schools, you need to take advantage of this, a state program, which allows you to open state-funded schools for, they call it adult high schoolers, 18, 19, 21, 22 who have dropped out, who have been incarcerated, who are returning from incarceration. Because right now there's, there's tens of thousands of young people aged 18 to 24 who not only do not have, uh, an, uh, are not in school, but they, but they don't have jobs. So I don't think you need to increase the number of charter schools. That's first of all. Secondly, I opened twice the number of traditional public schools than I did charter schools. I opened 15 charter schools. I opened 30 and built 30 new public schools. So, you know, you're going to see more traditional, traditional public school choices in a Vallis administration. But what I also want to do is I want to turn these schools over to community leadership, because right now only 60 percent of the $30,000 per year that they are spending on, 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 on public schools is finding its way into the classroom. And everything's being dictated from the, by the central administration. And the central administration wastes money on privatization like Aramark and Sodexo and on these district-wide programs that they impose on the local schools. Drive the money down to the local school level. Let the principals and their local school councils ultimately make the decision on how to spend the Title I money and the poverty funds and, and, and allow them uh, to uh, determine what... Uh, additional programs and support their children need. So will we resource these neighborhood schools adequately? I mean, the way, I, you know, because I'm part of Whitney Young's first full four-year graduating class, and people fought tooth and nail to get in there, and yes, I did have very strong test scores because I did not want to end up on um, on television. <laughs> you know, given how controversial my father was, that has been, that would have happened. That's right. That having been said, and, you know, I came out at the top of my class, too, so it, it, it worked out. That having been said, I want to know what about adequately, not just adequately, robustly resourcing uh, neighborhood schools? Well, the, the first step towards robusting resourcing is, is making sure that that uh, 80 percent of the money is going to the local classrooms, not not 60 percent, because mm-hmm. right now the the school district in Chicago spends thirty thousand dollars a child, but only about sixty percent of that money finds its way into the local schools and into the local classrooms. Right now, sixty percent of all the city's property taxes go to the Chicago public schools. Twenty-five percent of all the money that the state spends on K through twelve education goes to the Chicago public schools. You know, I believe that the state has an obligation to fully fund the school aid formula that they've been mandated to fund. So I'm going to fight for funding more than anyone else. But you've got to make sure that the money you have, the 30,000, imagine, imagine having four children in your home and somebody giving you $120,000 to go find the best education for your child. I mean, the bottom line is that's what the schools are spending, mm-hmm. but it's not finding its way into the classroom. And in a Vallis administration, we'll do what we did when Chico and I ran the schools and enrollment grew by 40,000 
because we're pushing the money down to the local schools and letting the local schools and the local school principals make the final decisions on how that money should be spent. Well, let me ask you about health, because there's so many questions, because we could talk about education, and we will continue to do that. Um, because should you become mayor, we will have to advocate for the things that, that it is that we need. Maternal mortality for black, white, brown, yellow, and red women in the United States is the worst in the Western world. And in Chicago, I mean, we, if you want to have a baby, it's just, it's tough. I mean, we don't have maternity wards between Roseland and the University of Chicago. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. like a city away. Is there any, what would you do to remedy that? I mean, the urgent care centers, we don't see them on the south and west sides. Uh, These delivering a baby, you just... You could die before you get to a place who that could, that could, where you could safely deliver your child. What well, resources would, be, would you do? Would you commit to, well, to changing that? Well, just as we need, just as we need to re- not only restore the mental health centers, but every single area that a police district serves should have a mental health center, should have opioid and drug addiction centers, should have local public health centers that can provide those type of maternity services. But let me tell you what else you can do. And this is something we did at the Chicago Public Schools. Our early childhood program had a prenatal to the classroom program where we would identify every pregnant teen in the schools and we would assign that pregnant teen a coach, a parent coach, to work with that pregnant teen to get that pregnant teen access to prenatal services and prenatal care. And when that baby was born healthy, that, that the coach would, con- would uh, continue to, to uh, work with that pregnant teen. In fact, coach the mother uh, 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 and the father. Most of the times we we're just talking about really single mothers, uh, you know, uh, and, and would work, continue to be available to guide uh, that first-time parent until the child entered school. We had, we had I think, 2,500 pregnant teens go through that program. Incidentally, when the children hit the third grade, uh, there, there was no achievement gap, even though the children, there were like 99% of the children in the program uh, were, uh, were from uh, 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 families who, uh, who were uh, eligible for public assistance. And uh, the mothers had a 85% graduation rate, and, and the number of repeat pregnancies was I, was, I think, five or six. So what I would do is I would bring the prenatal program to scale because uh, if the baby is not born healthy and if the baby is not stimulated in those early zero to three years, then mm-hmm. the damage is done and often the damage is permanent. And, and you could Google that program and you could look at the editorials that the Tribune did and the stories that the Tribune did and the, and the research that the Ounce of Prevention did on that very program. So I talked about for the better part of four years, bringing that on a level, and that would be the gap that exists when it comes to prenatal care. Well, that's one of them, but you, I'm talking about, and that's important, and you are to be lauded for that. But I'm also speaking of, you know, women who are adults, who are married, um, who are trying to have children, they don't have access to a place to have a baby between 
Roseland and the University of Chicago. I mean, everybody's yeah, not going to be able to go to Northwestern. So what about what about them? I mean, because I mean, no. for white women, for black women, for brown women, for yellow women, for red women, having a baby in the United States and in the city of Chicago is high risk business. You could lose your life. Well, what I'm saying, Santita, uh, is that just as we need to have every community needs to have a mental health center that does in calls and out calls. And, and if you're billing for Medicaid uh, and, uh, you know, and if you're taking advantage of federal and state reimbursements, those programs can be covered, uh, not to mention, obviously, on occasion, private insurance. But there's no reason why you can't open up uh, maternity clinics or, or open up community based public health centers that can provide that that critical care. In every community, too, we need public health clinics at the local communities that can address those needs. We need mental health centers that can provide the critical mental health services, not just a restoration of the 12, but we really need 21, 22 mental health centers in the community. And we need opioid and drug addiction centers. The fentanyl crisis is an absolute, it's an epidemic. Uh, My son died of long-term, the effects of long-term drug addiction. So we've been personally impacted. Uh, by that, and obviously we were a family that had a few more resources to provide for his care and intervention. So we need to rebuild the social services infrastructure, and that needs to include providing those public health services and providing uh, those centers that can that can that can help mothers who are in need of those services. Absolutely, and keeping the children out of jail, like your son was able to not go to prison for possession you know, of these drugs that kill, that kill. Uh, what about uh, what about safe, affordable housing? Karen Bass in, in Los Angeles, and this will probably have to be the last thing that, that I mentioned, you know, that we're looking at homelessness and we're looking at people who cannot afford to work a wage job in, in the city of Chicago and in cities all around the country and, and rent a place, just rent a nice, uh, safe, affordable housing where will well, where will safe affordable housing fit in the in the Vallis administration? Well, what I've talked about for the better part of four years was to do the following. The first thing we have to do is, is we have to remove the obstacles to building more affordable housing. And and and, and you know the the city is a is a bureaucracy. And and I mean whether it's big projects or small projects, the city housing department and buildings department are just a disaster. Second thing is we got to get control of the CHA. The CHA has thousands and thousands of vacant units that are unoccupied. The city CHA is supposed to be our affordable housing institution, but yet it, 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 it's spending too much time selling its property to uh, sports uh, to uh, sports clubs. Uh, you know, so the CHA really needs to come under the control of the department of the housing department, so we can inventory and make those CHA units that are vacant available to people who need it. Third is there's 15,000 residential units that are sitting idle and empty, multifamily and single-family units. The city should seize those units, uh, eminent domain or go to tax court, and the city should turn those units over to the housing advocates, the not-for-profits, the faith-based organizations, with the grants to renovate those buildings so that those houses can now be made available uh, you know, to not only people who are homeless, people who can't afford housing, but also for, like, returning citizens. The biggest issue for individuals returning from incarceration is they can't get housing, let alone not be able to get jobs. 
Uh, and also, uh, you know, we have no real domestic violence shelters in the city. I mean, you have like 200 serious domestic violence uh, requests for beds a night. The city, I think, controls only 150 beds. So at the end of the day, there's no reason why we can't provide thousands. Every community can't have available, every single ward can't have available hundreds of buildings, hundreds of buildings that can be used to address the multiplicity of housing needs from the community. And then finally, finally, we need to re- reduce the, remove the obstacles that allow apartment owners to convert unimproved space to garden units. You can create 125,000 affordable units literally in short order if the, the obstacles were removed, were removed from, uh, uh, from uh, uh, for uh, individuals who, uh, uh, landlords who own multifamily uh, buildings to convert their unimproved space to garden units. So those are just a, sm- a, a number of ideas 